Put yourself in the other person's shoes. What is it that makes their world tick? What is it that they are wanting to hear? And that's not sort of dissimilar to, you know, an entrepreneur going out to pitching. Hey guys, I'm Carlos Miranda, and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I started IG in 2011, and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, corporates, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique access to both donors and fundraisers and want to help them better understand one another. And so we bring you What Donors Want, a fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into Major Gifts fundraising from the donor's perspective. In each episode, we'll interview a donor and get right down to it. What do they actually want from the fundraisers who cultivate them? This advice and more straight from the donor's mouth. Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, and I'm a colleague of Carlos's from IG. I'm also the producer of What Donors Want, and I am super excited about today's episode. We chatted with Paul Lindley, one of the UK's leading entrepreneurs. You'll probably recognize him as the founder of the UK's number one baby food brand, Ella's Kitchen, a hugely successful company with a global turnover of more than 100 million and certified as one of the UK's first B Corporations. It's very cool. IG is a very proud member of B Corp as well. Uh, You might also recognize him as the author of the book, Little Wins, The Huge Power of Thinking Like a Toddler, co-founder of The Key is E, a social enterprise that empowers young African entrepreneurs, or chairman of Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights UK. Suffice it to say, his resume is extremely impressive. One quick note is that the Wi-Fi connection for this call was sometimes a bit dodgy. You know, thanks again, Central London, but it's nothing too major, and it was all around an excellent conversation. I'm joined here now by my colleague, Amy White, who's going to tell us a little more about today's guest. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm upping my hipster status by being a part of a (laughs) podcast series. So, as Rachel said, we chatted with Paul Lindley. Throughout his life, Paul has always been committed to giving back, with the theme of supporting children and young people at the core of his approach. Sadiq Khan recently appointed him as head of London's Child Obesity Task Force, and he brings this philosophy into his personal philanthropy at the Lindley Foundation, supporting organisations such as Sesame Workshop and Ashoka. We've had the pleasure of working with him at IG on his philanthropic strategy, and it was brilliant to explore this more with him on the show. On to the podcast. Let's do it. Welcome, Paul Lindley, to What Donors Want. We are so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on it. Fantastic. Um, so we always we start this podcast off always with sort of a, a cheeky speed round of get to know you questions, and and I you know we do this because we really love to promote the idea that donors are actually people. We have uh, ten questions for you, Amy and I, that we're gonna sort of speed fire at you and just say the first thing that comes to your mind. There's no no silly answer or anything like that. Are you ready for it? Stressful. Go on. Let's go. Yeah. I know. Hopefully, hopefully, just more fun than stress. But uh, we'll see. Okay. So, question number one: If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Um, to be invisible. What was the last show you binged? Um, that would be the Bridge series three, the last series in Swedish. Awesome. Gosh. Oh, my family love that one. If the world was going to end tomorrow, what would your last meal be? Uh, that would be a big Middle Eastern meze with kind of loads of endless courses I think mine might be very similar what's one place that you haven't travelled to that you're dying to visit Uh, the moon (laughs) touche and what is your favourite Ella's Kitchen flavour 
That would be the strawberry and apple um, one. Although there are many, many of the savory ones that I had on baked potatoes day after day after day as we were developing them and trying to perfect them. Oh my God, that sounds like a very fun job. <laughs> okay, next question. So if you could be the lead singer of any cover band, what cover band would you choose? Uh, Paul Lindley and the Wailers. <laughs> That's so good. That's brilliant. Okay, who would be your dream dinner guest? And that could be someone who's dead or alive. Okay, so we will bring together um, Mary Magdalene, Alfred the Great, Bobby Kennedy, Nelson Mandela, and my children and I. Oh my god. Wow. Yes. What is your guilty, favourite guilty pleasure movie? I reckon the movie I've watched the most is The Commitment. Love it. Never get bored of it. I could watch any of the Bond films over and over and over again as well. Okay, so the next question is a, it's very um, dividing among the IG team. Coffee or tea? Well, that depends, doesn't it? Um, if it's really good coffee, coffee. Um, if it's at the end of the day, tea. Hmm, that is a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> and finally, Beatles or Stones? Uh, the Beatles, the first unique, endless time. Uh, yeah, I'm a Beatles man. So that is the end of the speed round. You have officially survived it. Hopefully it was more more fun than stress. The next section of the podcast, as you know, is a deep dive into your work as a philanthropist. And to kick it off, you know, it's very clear from your bio and as listeners will know that you've always believed in social good and in giving back. From registering Ella's Kitchen as a B Corp, committing to doing good through business and establishing the Lindley Foundation after selling Ella's Kitchen in 2013. So with all these amazing things that you do, can you speak a little bit about what inspired you to be this way and to get into philanthropy? I mean, everything is so personal about philanthropy, isn't it? And I'm sure what I say is different to everybody has a very different view about it. But I, I think that it, it is a personal journey that you go on to understand who you are and therefore what you support. And when, when you're somebody like me that sold a business, didn't inherit wealth, certainly didn't have it before, um, uh, which is a, a, a single moment. You've sold your business and there was nothing in your bank account. Suddenly there's, there's, more, there's more money in the bank account. That takes a very long time to sort of get your head round. And it starts a journey of you trying to understand who you are. Um, because I think up until that moment, all your life, certainly for me, had been um, about being taught to do things to support your family and to um, earn money. And then, you know, what it kind of gets to is maybe your job going forward is to do things to support your family by giving money. And, um, and it's a balance between investing and saving and giving and spending on yourself, obviously. But it's, it's a certainly a big part of your life. And to get your head around that takes time. And I sold my business five years ago, and I'm only just sort of sort of getting my head around that but i think when you look inside you of yourself and, and trying to understand what makes you tick certainly your own experiences in life uh, are, are vitally important that's how you relate yourself to the rest of the world because every one of us looks through our you know an individual set of eyes and nobody sees the world the same way and you can only be influenced by the experiences you've had along the way and that has developed your passions and you can get to articulate your passions and and really think about why 
why that they're important to you. But but also, I think your sort of family, and I don't know whether it's genetics or not. Is it? But but sort of what what I've discovered is really important to me is is stories of my family through the generations, which suddenly resonated with me. I, for example, very recently in the last few years, um, I have found. Uh, a marriage certificate of my great-great-grandparents from the 1860s, pretty much 100 years exactly before I was born. And it's all interesting for the family because there's there's John and there's Sarah and they were in their 20s and they got married and one was a farm labourer and, and uh, one was unemployed. But the really important thing to me that resonated with me is both of them signed their name on their marriage certificate with an X because neither of them could read or write. And that really affected me to start with, thinking that's only 100 years before I was born. I've seen pictures of their children and I, they look, you know, their sons look like me and my dad and my granddad. And what opportunities did they miss through not being able to read and write? What did they not understand about the world? What passions did they not discover because they couldn't see something in a book or read a newspaper and understand how the world was moving? And that has really resonated with me and something deep inside of me to say, you know, if it wasn't for just the luck of circumstance that I was born at a certain time, had the opportunity to go to university, had the opportunity to start a business, take a risk and, 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 and sell it and, and grow it, then um, that's that, a lot of that is by chance. That I happen to be born at a certain time in a certain place that gave me opportunities where billions of people today are not born like that. And my grand, great great grandparents were not born like that. So that that has been seminal in me. So it's these little stories in our past that that build with real-life experiences that tell us who we are. And I think when you understand who you are, that's when, how you begin to understand how you fit into the world, what, what your legacy might be, and what was the point of you being alive at a time. And I think philanthropy falls into all of that when you're in a position where you've got an opportunity to give back. Oh, wow, that's a really incredible answer. Yeah, it's so lovely to hear that family values have really driven your social good and your philanthropy. So maybe you could tell us a bit about what your objectives are with your grant making today and what change you would like to see in the world. I've in thinking, you know, about who I am and what my legacy might be to myself, to my family, to, to the wider world, I've sort of spent time introspectively reflectively thinking about it and and really landed on you know i would love this world i would love to leave this world richer in opportunity compassion and ideas they're the three things i think will make us a more humane society and more humans more at the center of our society which is which is important to me in these times where there's so many things to divide us in the world but also it, it, I think opportunity and an abundance of ideas and people prepared to act upon those ideas is what can help us solve so many problems. And neither of those things are necessarily money related. And I think philanthropy is often sort of associated with giving of money, but giving of time and skills and networks and contacts and ideas um, is equally part of the philanthropic mix um, for me. And that's how I then at, at sort of the, my objectives within philanthropy is can they help uh, generate more ideas, more opportunity and, and make our world more um, humane and um, recognize a compassion for others that may be suffering? That's um, it's a, a brilliant answer and it, it relates to one of our later questions, which I actually I think I'm going to ask now. So 
you know, we've had the pleasure of working with you at IG on your personal philanthropic strategy. And, and from that and, and from what you just said, we know that a very important motivator for you is that opportunity to contribute more than just funding. So your skills and engage fully with an organization's cause and strategy. And this is actually, you know, that's a, a quite common motivation among major donors and particularly the next generation of donors. And, and because of this, charities are increasingly adjusting their approach to account for this. So we're wondering, how do the organizations that approach you and engage you incorporate this motivation into their process of cultivating you? Yeah. Well, to be quite honest, often I don't. <laughs> um, and I... I... I, I really think like with anything in life that's worth doing, it's worth over-investing time at the beginning in sort of planning and understanding what your mission and your objectives are and, and really taking time, whether you're sort of got a new position in a workplace and the time you spend in sort of writing the nuance of what the job spec is and what the um, sort of job advert is, in taking time to interview and interview and interview uh, as many people as you, you feel as though you find the right one and not be pressurized to, 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 to choose somebody that you don't think is quite right and to ask the right questions in interviews and to reflect on the answers and not be satisfied until you feel as though there's a right mindset fit as well as a skill set. All of that all of that investment within a business uh, 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 pays off in the long term in the length of time that person will stay, in the, their ability to fit in and the, their mindset matching the organization's sort of mission and, and, and their ability to sort of do work outside of work time. And I think that translates into, you know, when you're approaching, when you're having any sort of relationship with anybody, um, invest the time early on to understand, put yourself in the other person's shoes. What is it that makes their world tick? What is it that they are wanting to hear? Um, and that's not sort of dissimilar to, you know, an entrepreneur going out to pitching. I used to pitch uh, into all the different supermarkets, and I, I certainly didn't have the same pitch to each of the supermarkets, even though I was selling the same product um, and the same brand, because each of them have a different set of goals. Each of them had a different mission and a different set of values, and finding that overlap um, uh, uh, is, is, is critical. So my, my sort of answer really is, you know, that time investing in really doing all you, more than all you can to, to understand why the other person will bother responding to an email, answering the phone, spending time with you at a, you know, a function or a dinner and, and actually engage in a meaningful conversation. Um, and the second part is really some people trying to get to that conversation too quickly. Um, and then it feels unauthentic and impersonal and really, so so both of those things to me um, mean that trust has to be built up. And I'm much more of a feeling person. And, and those feelings of I can trust this person, I can trust what they say, I can trust the impact that they say is going to affect, is going to happen. I can trust when they say it's either going to create more ideas in the world or it's going to create more opportunities or it's going to be create more compassion than then then I, that, that takes time to build that trust up for me. Now, it might be very different to the next person, but um, you've asked me the question. Yes, well, definitely. I mean, there's so many interesting things that you just said. I want to rewind just a little bit in the, you know, the typical fundraising process and ask you, you know, from the beginning, how do you typically find charities to support in the first place? Finding is a good word there because I like to find. I don't like to be found. Um, I, I sort of don't uh, respond positively to cold calls or unsolicited 
uh, approaches uh, because there's no trust there and because it's speculative and uh, and you know that might be bad news for listeners who think that uh, uh, there's there's someone here that wants to give and that, that they, they they need to they need funds to be given. But for me, um, I need to find those charities and those causes myself. 90% it's because there's already a relationship, I'm already aware, there's been word of mouth, there's been, uh, I've seen their work, uh, we've worked on something else together, I've already worked in this sort of area, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, things come to me that intrigue me, an idea that I think is unique, um, and, and so... That's really um, how I find them, um, and uh, you know, I, I, I've listened to a number of your your podcasts, and I think there's a similarity there. Um, I, you know, I, I work this back to, you know, the first time I went to see, I don't know, Sainsbury's or Tesco or somebody. You know, I, I thought I've got one approach here. I've got one chance. I want to be ready for that meeting. I want to be credible at that meeting. I want to have done my research to understand why they want the meeting. I want to put myself in their shoes and understand what's missing from their uh, shelves that we might be able to bring, what's missing in their strategy and their mission that we could help them with, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I like to find. I don't like to be found. I mean, you're completely right in that that sentiment has been echoed by pretty much every guest on the show so far. I think for fundraisers and for organizations, it's a tricky balance because, you know, yes, you can wait to be found, but there's also things that organizations can do to make their organizations stand out. You know, they can be in the right space. They can network map to get through with introductions to the right people so that when people like you are finding them, there's a momentum on, on both sides. So I think that's, that's really interesting to hear from your perspective. I think also well, I've got a perspective that it's I, you know, we, we do have a foundation and we do give philanthropic fund, but I also have charity and I also founded another charity and I'm, I'm, I'm chair of it, founded the UK part of another charity and I'm chair of it. And we need to raise funds for them and I can put some money in and get it matched. And, but the, you know, the, the amounts that I can put in are nowhere near what we need to fulfill the programs of impact change that we want. So, you know, I've got the boot on that foot as well. I'm thinking about, you know, and I've, I've got networks and uh, that, you know, I don't want to abuse. I want to really consider before I approach one of my friends or acquaintances or business partners or, or a friend of a friend sort of thing, and, and really understand why am I going to be any different than anybody else approaching them? Why are they going to believe me? So the question that is relevant that is so much in life is this question, why? There's a fantastic book by Simon Sinek, my favorite business book, besides the one that I wrote myself, um, but, um, uh, it is, uh, which is called Little Wins, The Huge Power of Thinking Like a Toddler, and you can't take the entrepreneur out of even a philanthropic conversation available from all good Amazon stores and uh, bookshops. Um, but uh, the, uh, the idea of why, and really, uh, why should, I ask it constantly. I, I, when we're seeking funds, or even when I'm approached, is why? Why am I this person? Why are they going to say yes? Why are they going to believe I'm any different than anybody else? Why do they need money? You know, why me? And that, 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 so asking that of yourself before you ask anybody else uh, will uh, insulate you from the questions you're going to get, but also I think um, stop you wasting time approaching people that really have no interest or no desire to support your specific thing. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, so you've just said that you like to do the findings. So once an organization stands out to you and you uh, they've gained your attention, um, can you give us a glimpse into your typical decision-making process? So um, perhaps who supports you in this? Sure. As you guys know specifically, you know, from a strategic level, I've worked with you and your colleagues um, to try and put some structure uh, to decision making. Uh, you've helped me with, you know, a simple thing like a decision tree, but much more sort of insightful um, help in, you know, what motivates me and what the values that I have and I need to see reflected in whoever who is approaching me and whether I should engage with them or not. Um, uh, and really helped me understand my theory of change. Um, so I, I needed professional advice um, from that, uh, and I, I, I suspect many people do. Um, but then, sort of, when I know that, then and then it's some, I, it's really around people and their my belief in their authenticity and genuineness and what they're doing, but their ability to create an impact, their ability to sustain an impact, uh, their ability to. Uh, communicate honestly and sort of building trust is effectively the the, the, the thing there. So it, it's really the people. And then, and then you know, if, if that engages me and I think, well, the, the kind of uh, area that this is in, uh, for me, it's really around uh, social and economic uh, change and, and impact uh, and justice um, and around children's uh, welfare. Um, then it's sort of what level do I support? Um, you know, I, I earmark a few bigger things that are um, bigger amounts of money, more investment of my time, more understanding uh, and using of my, my networks and, and, and ideas. Uh, you know, I'm on the board of a number of organizations. I'm on the advisory council of others. Um, or is it just, let's write a small check because I believe these guys can do something. I don't, it can be unrestricted. Uh, it sounds new. It sounds like it may or may not work, but that's fine. Let's let's help them see. Let's help them see. So, you know, I have to go through that process. Is this a major thing that's going to cost in terms of our budget uh, out of the year that we allocate? Um, and, in, and in time, which is a finite resource as well. Um, and then really, the last question really to myself is, what's the impact, as in the physical impact of what they're trying to achieve? Does that, does that resonate? But also then, what's the impact on me? And I, you know, when you look at a hard look at it, I don't think philanthropy for many people, including myself, is just pure, is, is altruistic, is purely altruism. Uh, I'm sure it is, as some of it is. But I, what's the impact on me? Why am I doing this? Why am I, maybe I'm going to be happier. Maybe I'm going to uh, feel rewarded in, in, in sort of inside of myself. Or maybe there's uh, it's a stepping stone to a more strategic relationship um, or with a partner of theirs or, you know, a, a test of something else that I'm thinking about that, that could be proven or disproven from this. So really, is it in my wheelhouse of the areas that I want to change and, and those three areas of opportunity, compassion and ideas? Is it, do, I, do I trust the people that they can deliver and they're the, the right type of people to work with? What level do I work at? 
and what's the impact and what's the impact to me? Brilliant. Yeah, I think, again, it, it, it goes back to your earlier point about motivation and, and making sure that organizations factor that into their approach, because you're right, nothing is purely altruistic. I think, you know, when you're going through this decision-making process with, with all of the, the various you know, steps and considerations that you just described, what is the most common mistake organizations make during this period with you? Either being generic, and it's not about me, it's about my money, and my money is as good as the next person who they spoke to 10 minutes ago or last week, um, and that will just won't connect with me. Or it's sort of about assumptions about me, my values, my goals, or whatever, which is in some ways a bigger mistake to make because it looks like then you have invested the time to work somebody out, but got it completely wrong. And then a little bit down the line, another sort of uh, failure or mistake I think organizations make is really not following up in terms of they put a lot of effort in to get some, uh, you know, get a check or get some time or get a connection. And then they're kind of so busy chasing the next check from somebody else that they don't invest the time in coming back for a second check or a second piece of advice or a second you know, connection or something. And uh, it becomes transactional. And I think charities that are transactional are uh, very poor models of an organization. Uh, they're forever going to be chasing their tail. Yeah, absolutely. So my next question you touched upon briefly, but you are celebrated as one of um, the UK's top entrepreneurs. You've launched several successful companies yourself and have also been on the other side of the table as an investor. So from your experience in this space, do you notice a big difference between entrepreneurs pitching for startup support and fundraisers pitching for donations? I think... The biggest area is sort of around risk and sort of acknowledgement of risk. You know, it is assumed that, a you know, a, a startup business is a risky thing to invest in or a risky thing to start yourself. The statistics will show that many more fail than succeed or they, you know, even if they succeed, they might not deliver what they intended to deliver uh, along the way. And, and, you know, it's, I'm so often asked for advice um, uh, about our early years and, and, and sort of how the process was. And, you know, pretty much the honest truth is there was a lot of chaos that in, in, in retrospect you can ascribe order to. Um, but you, you, you've you got to think on your feet and you've got to act to that chaos and you've got to make the most of it and, make, uh, and you've got to be prepared to fail and you learn from your failures. Now, that is, I find that, I find it odd that many charitable organizations, especially smaller ones, sort of push that under the carpet and assume that for some reason a charity is going to be different than every other aspect of life. And equally, I, I, I find it even perhaps more surprising that many people expect or demand metrics and evaluation and sort of the due diligence that they do around giving to a charity some you know i've seen some people do on relatively small amounts when i've seen similar people invest in startups very happy to take a much bigger risk you know if you want to see change in the world so startups businesses entrepreneurs are creating change in the world charities are doing the same thing um uh, with a different funding model and the risks are the same to make change in the world is bloody hard and some of it needs to think out of the box so that you risk something that hasn't been fully evaluated, 
that doesn't have necessarily all the evidence because maybe you're gathering evidence and that's okay. And I wish more charities would feel more comfortable saying that because they would be more authentic. It may turn some people off from giving, but it may turn some other people on to say, now that's, now I believe that, now I've got trust because you can't guarantee my money is going to, 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 to make the change that you're going, especially the smaller charities. And that's why unrestricted funds, you know, I'm kind of a fan of unrestricted funds for the smaller, smaller businesses because the, the smaller charities, sorry, the smaller charities, you know, are, is, is, is kind of a punt in a way for the, 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 the donor as it is for an investor, a, 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 a sort of a risk-evaluated punt. But if the small charity is tying itself up in knots, trying to do metrics, and, you know, it's not spending time on the problem and the solution to the problem and the impact that can, can be created. And I just see my money better spent in, you know, I, I believe in the people. I believe that they're competent and uh, and confident enough to, to 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 learn from if they make a mistake. And you know, spend you know, do what you said you'd do to me for me. If you if you do it, that's great. If you don't do it and you tell me how it didn't work and what you've learned from it, that's also great. Absolutely. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your dream grantee. Um, obviously, risk-taking qualities is a big one. Yeah. I, I think um, I think the idea of a growth mindset is really important here. So I'm a big believer that actually uh, nothing is impossible in this world, um, and uh, that uh, it may take time, it may take weird, crazy ideas, but we can massively, we can make huge leaps forward from the most unusual places. So that growth mindset is, as opposed to a fixed mindset, is. Um, you know, we, we, we've got a plan, we've got a strategy, um, uh, we'll follow it, um, but we'll not be bound by it. We'll not um, be blind to opportunities that come along the way. The, the context I'm thinking about this is um, uh, University of Reading. Uh, so I, I live in Reading um, and uh, I've worked with the university for many years. We've got to know the vice chancellor. Um, they're very well. I think it's a, a, a fantastic organization. And anyway, they, they're coming up to 100 years old and they're trying to work out what they do for the next 100 years in terms of what they stand for to be different to other universities and, and how they can build up their reputation and, and uh, expertise. And building on the sort of faculties and the the uh, credibility that they've got now, they, they've got this whole program around imagination and imagination of focusing on global problems and the imagination take it to, uh, to, to be taken about how they may be addressed. So they, they came to me as, uh, as, as a, a local person, someone that's engaged in them, and you know did a very polished and uh, persuasive sort of rationale for how their work fitted with my metrics and my personality and my values and everything, and and. And although they didn't specifically ask for, for money, I sort of cut them off and I said, you know what, I think there's a better way, there's a different way. Can I add my thoughts and some ideas into this that we can maybe be able to develop something? And what we've created is something called Imagine If, a little program that um, really is around having one day next February when 10 people will do 10 minute TED type talks um, with just an idea, nothing more than an idea that could change the world. 
and we'll have an audience of 200 people, they will vote, and one of those 10 people will get a PhD funding and the university engagement to get the evidence and get the articulation and the, the sort of traction uh, and the piloting of that idea so that it could become a business, a social business, a charity, a public sector thing, but it, 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 it can make change happen. Now, I think, you know, for, it's much more exciting, uh, but it, it, what I'm really pleased is that the University of Reading stopped and said, okay, this isn't on our strategy. Let's have a think about it. Let's talk to you. Let's talk to some others. Let's start a little conversation with, we convened a number of people, and uh, eventually we're willing to say, yeah, this is going to be a major plank of what we're doing going forward. Um, you know, and then I've sort of taken that vision now and thinking, well, you know, let's every university every year pitch to be the host university for 15 PhDs that could be funded um, with 150 people turning up to pitch their ideas. We're getting more ideas. We're getting more opportunities for people. We're understanding the problems of the world and the compassion that goes with that. And we're trying to find a brand new way of doing it. So my sort of grantee who never physically asked me for any money are going to get some of my money and some of the networks that I've worked with who really instinctively wanted to be involved with this because it is so different and risky um, uh, involved. So, so the grantee that is willing to listen to a grantor and, um, and, and sort of take on board a, a, a change in direction under the same strategy, I guess. But anyway, that's, that's my little example of uh, I, I really enjoy working with them because they listen, they're prepared to act, and they're prepared to change uh, have a, a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. That's very cool and, and, and very related to our next question, so it might actually be that example, but I'll ask it anyway just in case there's something else that comes to mind. So, you know, you've mentioned, well, that example with, with the University of Reading, and you've also mentioned these three core themes, the opportunity, compassion, and ideas that sort of that guide your philanthropy. However, have there been instances when you're engaging with an organization that they've knocked it out of the park so much that you've decided to make a grant that's outside your usual giving style or plan or scope? I, I can think of one good example, and it really comes from uh, my point about people and really trusting and believing in people. Um, so uh, I, um, I support an organization called Ashoka, which um, helps uh, change makers that are social entrepreneurs and nudge the world into a better place and, and support them with, with mentorship and... Uh, uh, and funding and things, um, and I'm on the board of two of their social enterprises, one of which is called Toastale, makes fabulous, uh, delicious craft beer um, out of bread that's surplus and fresh that otherwise uh, would be thrown away because 44% of the bread we make every day, bake every day, uh, is never eaten. Now, food waste um, is, uh, is not in the centre wheelhouse for my um, my interest. However, social enterprise is. So I've supported that and I've spent a lot of time on the board there and it's wonderful, fantastic business, social business, impact change, everything. The founder, the, the person that conceived of that idea is a well-known food waste activist, a guy called Tristram Stewart, wonderful creative genius, but also got a much more of a business head on than he would, he would admit himself. But... Um, but his, his main work is a charity called Feedback, which is, uh, is about finding solutions to address food waste. Um, 
And I have given to them and love supporting them, even though it's not in my wheelhouse, because of the unique, exciting way they are approaching the, the challenge with, they've got something called Feeding the 5,000, uh, which puts on big events in like Hyde Park and Central Park and stuff and um, out of food that otherwise would be thrown away that night and creates a party. Uh, the pig effect, which uses food that otherwise is coming to the end of its human consumption shelf life um, in the supermarkets and goes off to be fed to pigs. Just creative ways of something that's sustainable, something that might have a business model attached to it, but you know is equally not what I would go out looking for to support um, in you know my human-centered world. Uh, environment obviously critical and vital, but you know we all have our we all have our sort of priorities and, and the things that we, we we focus on. So anyway, that's an example. That person, Tristram, hugely inspirational person. The ideas are so creative and so full of opportunity, really engaged me. Um, but usually, tangentially, you know, I'd, I'd met and heard of and word of mouth and seen in action Tristram and, and, and his team through the Ashoka network and, 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 and relationship building that had gone on beforehand. Your answers have been absolutely brilliant today. Thank you so much. Um, we're coming to the end of everything that we wanted to ask you, um, but what is the one key thing you want listeners to take away from this conversation? Well, I think, um, you know, there's things about it, it needs to be personal. It needs to really resonate with you as an individual and, and, and you care about. And the listeners need to invest the time to understand you as, as a donor. But the real thing that I would say is the one piece of advice is to remember that from the donor is going to put themselves in, in your shoes and do they trust these people, you as, as the as, as the organization approaching a donor, to deliver, to be honest, to communicate right, to talk, to, to, to be human, because ultimately ideas and plans and actions and metrics don't just happen, people make them happen. And why those people make them happen, the competencies those people have to make them happen, and um, what's done to sustain that happening are the things that I think, think, think about. So really your organization, whoever you are um, as a business or a charity is nothing more than the sum of the people, their honesty, integrity, ideas, or the way they conduct themselves, or the way they communicate, the way they build trust to show that by engaging a donor, that donor's um, needs of uh, what impact has, has, has happened, what uh, impact to the donor themselves in, in, in improving their lives has happened, um, and self-reflect on that is my little one piece of advice. That is a brilliant note to end on. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time to share all of these incredible insights, to, to be on our podcast. We are so thrilled to have you on here and to have your perspective on the show. Really welcome. I, th I think what, you know, just this last... 40 minutes or so has helped me think about my life and myself and um, you know, that introspection we could all do more with. If we all sort of learnt something new about ourselves every day, uh, we'd be better people and the world would be a better place. I could not agree more. We are so happy to hear that this has been helpful for you too. This uh, no doubt listeners will really, really benefit from this conversation. Um, but that's, that's all we've got for today. So thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Lovely. Back to the gang. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of What Donors Want. And a huge thank you to Paul for his generous time and advice. Yes, thank you, Paul. If you're interested in learning more about him and his philanthropy, check out his website. It's paullindley.uk. And if you want to learn more about IG, or if you have any questions that you'd like us to ask our next guest, you can check us out online at impactandgrowth.com. Say hello to us on Twitter. Our handle is at IG underscore advisors. Or we can grab many, many coffees in London. Our next episode of What Donors Want will actually be another live recording in London. So if you're based here, please do give us a shout if you want to come. We'd love to see you. Yes, definitely. We're very excited, deep into the planning, and I'm personally advocating for Britney headset mics. Definitely. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. Bye.